You know, uh, we have an opportunity here to encourage people uh, to be uh, part of community. Um, but some of us kind of go through life, and we go through life kind of ob- oblivious, and we kind of live in our own little, uh, own little space, right? Uh, we're just kind of off on our own, uh, in our own little world. I don't know if any of you identify with that, but uh, for a good portion of my life, that's kind of how I, go- I went, right? <laughs> it was just, I'm just doing whatever I do. And if you happen to be along there with me, that's great. But as a kid, um, maybe you'll identify with this as a kid, uh, going somewhere. Um, you go, going somewhere with a family, it could have been like a farmer's market. Um, one, one instance in particular uh, for me that I remember was um, we went to Canton. Anybody ever go to Canton to the, the big old humongous traders, whatever stuff? I mean, it's ridiculous. But anyhow, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, and there we were with this family, and I was, and we went out, and we were walking together as a family, just looking at the stuff and walking, and you know, we were doing a really good job. Then I realized that we aren't we anymore. It was just me, and I was alone. And I kind of ended up in this little bit of a crisis. (laughs) And so here I am. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. All right. uh, How am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? I'm going to need a job. I mean, do they even give give eight-year-olds jobs? I'm going to need a job. I'm going to, who's going to look after me? And then I felt this familiar grasp, which was probably a little bit more firm than I'd like. But it made me realize that there was someone looking after me. So it's important for you to have someone looking after you. It's important for you to be looking after someone too. We want to create here a, fir- uh, a culture here at uh, First Castroville that, um, well, it's one that exists, but we want to take it to that next level. We're, we're out to create a community of Jesus followers, of men and women who are moving together in the same direction and asking the question, what does it mean to live in this world and follow Jesus and to be in an actual relationship with each other? So there's one thing that we need to understand. It's that circles are better than rows. Now, this isn't a geometry thing. This isn't anything about uh, whether you like lines or curves. This is about circles and rows. This is about how we sit. Right now, you're you're sitting shoulder to shoulder. In circles, you have to see each other. There are things that can only happen face to face, that will never happen shoulder to shoulder. We're committing, we're committed to being a face to face church and not just a shoulder-to-shoulder church. We have this problem that we go through in life. Eventually, we drift away. Eventually, we drift away from what's wholesome, from what's right, from what's holy. We rarely drift in a good direction. Think about it. When you're left on your own, do you go back to your old ways, your old devices, your old coping. When we drift away, we kind of withdraw from people. Are you not convinced that you have a tendency to drift? 
Let me give you a few examples. You ready? Exercise. <laughs> January 1st, I'm going to exercise every single day and I'm not gonna miss a day. January 2nd, well, it's okay to miss a day. I'll make it up. I'll exercise extra hard tomorrow. Diet. I'll eat one cookie. I meant one plate of cookies. Our budget. We're only going to spend things, spend money on things that are necessary. We're not, we're cutting out all of this excess spending. We're not going to go out to eat. We're not going to do thus and so. We're not going to buy this really expensive latest electronic gadget that I absolutely need. We're going to buy that tomorrow, right? Our finances and healthy relationships. You know, if you want to be in a healthy relationship, whether it's a friendship or someone that you're dating, or if you want to have a, a healthy marriage, you have to be intentional. Drifting in life is never good. Drifting for us is never good. We have to be intentional. And that intersects with our relationship with God. We have to be intentional in our relationship with God. In the things that matter, the things that take discipline, the things that, that, that take that extra step of delayed gratification, we have to be in, intentional about the things that are truly good for us because the gravitational pull of life is generally in the wrong direction. Think about it. You started out so great in a relationship. You started out so great in your studying. You started out so great in your job, but then long days, big test. They said they didn't. And the gravitational pull for us is rarely in the right direction. And when people talk to us and they ask us, hey, how you doing? We say, busy. And they go, good. And you're like, no. Because <laughs> busy, we know this, doesn't equal good habits. It doesn't equal good life. Busy doesn't equal stress-free. Busy equals busy. And sometimes it's about being busy about the wrong things. The current of our life, our busyness, our stress, rarely results in good habits. How many of you, after having a really long day of work or long day of school, decided, you know what? I'm going to eat the worst junk in the world because I need it. And that one day turned into two days, and it turned into three days. And well, if you're already on three, you might as well go for a week. The gravitational pull on us is never, it's rarely in the right direction, right? Gravitational pull of life rarely results in good habits. So every important area of our life, it seems like we're swimming upstream. Everything is upstream, every bit of it. Having a healthy marriage, how many of you say, you know what, healthy marriages actually take work? For some reason, Meeting Prince Charming turns out that he's not always that charming, right? And we find ourselves con consistently saying, you know what, for this marriage to actually work, well, one, you're going to have to work, and I might work too, 
but really it's you. No, but healthy marriages, they take work. Relationships with our kids, they take work, right? You can't, you can't automatically have a lifelong engaging relationship with your kids if you're not working at it. Having a good work environment it takes work. Having that good relationship with your boss, it takes work. Having a solid belief in God in the midst of the culture that we live in, against everything that tries to pull us away, it takes work. To overcome, it takes effort and intentionality. And in every area of life, it seems like we need to swim upstream, and we are swimming upstream, but it's worth it. And this is a core principle of Christianity. You ready? You weren't made to swim alone. You weren't made to go through your life by yourself. You were made to go to swim together. You're made to swim together. So when it comes to community, when it comes to friendship with other people, with people who share your values, and with people who are trying to get to the same destination, when you have those people around you, it's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to arrive. It's a whole lot easier to swim towards the right things. And in that capacity, and in that way, we desperately need each other. Now, this isn't a new idea, and this isn't something you're like, oh my goodness, I never heard that we had to, that we really needed that community, that we really needed to be with one another. This isn't a new idea to the 21st century, and it's amazing because this was actually going on in the first century church. When the church began, this was something that they understood and that they had to learn. The writer of Hebrew, uh, Hebrews that we're going to look at in just a minute addressed this very same th thing. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer talks about being in community. He says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters. Now that means that he's talking to you and to me. He's talking to us, brothers and sisters. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And with that statement, we ask the question, who is it in the right mind that would turn away from the living God? Who, after seeing what they saw, being involved in the community that they were involved in, knowing that Jesus, who was a man that walked among people that they knew, who would turn away from the living God? Who in their right mind would do that? Who when they know the difference between right and wrong, when they know what God wants them to do and that God wants them to do the right thing, who then would choose to do wrong? So he's saying, see to it that none of you has a sinful heart that turns away. And what we find out, what we recognize here is that you and I, that we have the capacity, regardless of what we've been through, regardless of how long we've been in church, how long we've believed in Jesus, we have the capacity to turn away from the living 
God. And for people that aren't Christians, those who don't believe, that's a legit gripe. It's a legit gripe. Who in their right mind, if they knew God, would turn away from God? If you are a Christian who believes that God created the world and everything in it, that he communicated through Jesus, and he asked us to do specific things, things like forgive, things like be generous, things like be compassionate, and you catch us not doing those things, it's a legitimate gripe because who would say no to God? So this first century Christian writer who knew people, who knew that the the risen Jesus says regardless Absolutely regardless of what happened, you have the capacity to turn your back on God. Is this, is this where you are? Maybe this describes you. Maybe you've been out of church, you've been kind of out of of practicing, right, for a while. Maybe you've been kind of hanging on by a thread. You're kind of in this place where, you know what, I'm just one disappointment away from turning my back on God. I'm just one more bad thing away from it. Kind of back, I'm kind of here, but I'm kind of not. Went through a rough season. Or you might be a person that says, you know what, everything's good. Everything's good, but we still, we turn our back on God. And it happens absolutely everywhere. For those of you that grew up in church and all of a sudden you find yourself in college, you don't have your people. You don't have your community. You don't have anybody seeing to you. You turned your back on God in college. You, you, you ignored what was right on your last business trip. You ignored what was right in the midst of the bad circumstances you went through or even through the good ones and the solution. The solution to this whole thing is all in this verse. When things get hard, when we start to drift, I want you to look in that verse, chapter 3, verse 12, look at the plurals, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, this is a plural thing. This is not an individual thing. Y'all, right? Because we're in Texas. Y'all, see to one another. Check up on one another. Look around. See to them. Now, it's not just about keeping up with me. Because turning away from God, it happens to us. It happens, and it happens in our heart. It happens in our mind. We drift. Didn't mean to. We lose interest. You know, I'm just not connecting the way that I should, you know, or that I wanted to. I'm just kind of not that interested right now. The drift, it always happens within And nobody knows unless someone 
is seeing about you. Nobody knows unless somebody has access to you. And access, as much as we try, it doesn't happen in rows. Access doesn't happen shoulder to shoulder. Not in here, not like this, because rows don't know. It does not show in a row. Because we know how to play the game, right? We know how to come in and shake hands, give our best smile, and say, good, I'm busy, good. How you doing? Terrible, good, right? Because we're just waiting on them to ask how we're doing, right? So we can say, good, and shake hands, see you next Sunday, and you walk out, right? It doesn't show in rows, because rows don't know. Because here's what it looks like in rows. We all do it. We have the church face right? I just had the worst morning with my kids. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> I'm going to kill them when I get home. <laughs> we do it with church family, right? Oh, I just love so-and-so. They're the best. They're the worst. Oh, you know, I'm so glad to see you. I hate seeing them. They're going to come over. They're going to talk to me. <sighs> hey, how you doing? We put on the church happy. We know how to do the church game. We know how to play it. And some of you are giggling along because you know that you do it or you know somebody that does do it and you're just hoping they're not doing it for your sake, right? We have that church got it togetherness down. We know how to look good. But see, the only way that anyone's ever gonna know about your sinful your unbelieving, your drifting heart is if you are in a circle and people have access to you. We sit alone in rows because nobody knows in a row. That's why you can come in and out and no one knows you were there. And for some of us, that's the whole reason that we go to a larger church body, right? Because I walk in, I walk out, and nobody knows I was there. But when nobody knows, it's a short walk to I feel like nobody cares. But your circle knows, your family knows, you kind of know when something's going on with your kids. You kind of know when there's something up with your kids, right? You, you, you kind of can, can sense it and see it. It's in the tone of voice. It's in the way that they walked in the room. You kind of know it when there's something going on with your husband. You kind of know it when there's something going on with your wife. And that's your family circle. And it's a lonely family circle if they're only shoulder to shoulder with no one else in their world. Our kids are alone in our families if they're only shoulder to shoulder with everyone else in their world. You are the only one 
at times that knows what's going on in the midst of your family. Because rows don't know, but circles do. That's why circles are better than rows. Because otherwise, otherwise we swim alone. Otherwise we struggle upstream alone. No one else in your life equals alone. So the writer of Hebrews says, but encourage one another daily. Encourage is not coming up to someone and saying, hey, how's it going? Way to go. Good job. Looking good. Right? That's not encouraging people in this context. The word there means exhort. It means appeal. It means urge strongly. It means beg. He's saying, I want you to be in each other's lives so much that I want you to be able to notice. I want you to be able to detect. I want you to be able to see when someone drifts. Notice when they're not there. Notice when their attitude changes. I want you to be in their life to such a degree that you can say something. Now, pastor, I don't know if you know how this church thing works. But we keep to ourselves, and I live in the land if it's none of your business. You ever been there? (laughs) You feeling that right now? We need to be in community so much with people in our own circles. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to know your stuff. But somebody needs to know your stuff. Somebody needs to be in your life that can say something. And it's not somebody that's 100 miles away. It's somebody that you have to see. Somebody that you are in community with. Because a wife doesn't have to struggle alone. A husband doesn't have to struggle alone. When he and she are the only ones that know something, there should be someone. There should be someone that knows before everyone else knows. There should be. Because we know when our personal business becomes everybody's business, right? It's usually when it blowed up, right? It just got so bad, so out of control. Everybody sees it. You're acting like it didn't happen, but everybody goes, did you hear what happened with them? And you're like, yeah, we all saw it, and I saw it coming. Anyone ever say, I saw that coming? I knew it. I called it that minute that I saw this happen. We want our kids, we want our kids to know that they don't have to struggle alone. We want our spouse to know that they don't have to struggle alone over something that's going on at home that nobody but family knows. Writer saying, be in each other's lives so that when things drift, someone has permission to say something. Let me ask you a question. How would that have changed your life? How would it have changed your life growing up 
Think of how it would have changed your family growing up. How would it have changed if someone knew what was going on inside your home? What would have changed? How would it have changed for you if somebody knew what happened when the doors were closed? How would it change things for your mom? How would it change things for her to have the support that she needed? How would it change things for your dad? How would it change things for your brother? For your sister? How would it change things for you? To have someone around that could say, I noticed. Is everything okay? Imagine the difference that that would have made. For many of you, for many of us, your parents showed up in rows every single Sunday. But rows don't know because it doesn't show in a row. We're not talking about a one and done. We're talking about a regular, constant. You will never not need someone to see about you. You will never come to a point in your life where there shouldn't be someone seeing about you and you seeing about someone else. We need to be involved with each other. The writer says, as long as, long as you are, as long as we are in the generation of people who struggle with sin, as long as we're in, in the company of people that struggle with sin and temptation, the ones that, that, that struggle with just getting things going in the right direction, we're going to need someone to be in our life. You're going to need to be in someone else's life so that, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Where does sin get you? I've got this. Listen, there's something going on, but I can't tell you about it, so just, just be quiet about it, okay? Just, just know that I need prayer. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, because sin tells you that you don't need anyone, that you've got this on your own, that it just takes a little bit more effort, a little bit more elbow grease, maybe a little bit of working things over, right? And that's the result that we want to avoid. That's the result that we want to avoid, that sin would be active in us, that we'd be, be deceived by sin. Not that our character there's a, there, you, know, you know the cartoons, right? There's this, um, there's this character. One shows up over here, and one shows up over here, right? One says, do it. One says, no, don't do it. You know, depending on what it is. You know, one's either the little uh, angel, angelic guy or one's the uh, little devil guy, right? Anyone ever grow up with that kind of cartoon? 
Anyone ever have that conversation in the mirror? <laughs> right? We don't have that character on our shoulder. But I tell you what, I have talked myself into a lot of stupid things. I become the world's best salesman when I'm trying to convince my something, myself of something that I shouldn't have done that is okay or something that I don't need that I really do need it. I mean, I say things like, you know, you know what, you, you deserve it. You, you deserve it. <laughs> you know, it's such a good deal, I'm practically forced to buy it. Right? I'm going to save so much money by buying this. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. I'm gonna, I, it's going to be great. <coughs> Listen, th- there's so many, they're not going to miss one. Based, I, I hardly have a choice. I mean, it, it's just been made for me. I, you know what? I think it's going to make my life happier, right? It's gonna, I'm going to be happier. Things are going to be better. My parents are never going to notice. And we have all of this self-talk. And we talk with that person in the mirror that is the greatest salesman in the world and has talked us into all of our worst decisions that we've ever made. And before long, here's what happens. We begin to believe the stupidity that we tell ourselves. Which goes to show us that the best defense that we have against this is not you. My best defense is not me. The best defense against all this is we. We is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin in you. Your best defense against the things you tell yourself that are true is us, not you. So a good question is what are you telling yourself these days? What are you selling yourself on these days? When you're all alone, when it's just you and your thoughts, what is it that you've begun to tell yourself? What is it? 